Hey, we want to just welcome you this morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks for coming to be a part of Connect Church with us today. And so good to have everybody here this morning. And you know, if this is your first time here, we welcome you. Thank you for coming and being a part of what God's doing here. And we hope that you consider this home because for us, this is home. It's not just a place that we come. It's a, it's a family that we belong to. And so this is a place to belong. Part of what we do that's so beautiful is the reason we get together is so that we can actually give God glory. And, and that's what worship is. Worship really isn't about the kind of songs that we like to sing or our preference in styles and beats. Worship is really about just telling God how amazing he is. And every time we begin to worship, something happens, not only in the atmosphere, because the Bible says that God comes and dances with his people. God is moved by the praises of his people. God is glorified. The, 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 the atmosphere of heaven becomes the atmosphere here on earth, and things start to change. But more so than that, it changes us. Because let's be honest, many of us have come in this week with a lot of things that would keep our hands by our side. A lot of weight on our heart that makes it hard to lift up our voice. But when we do, things change. So if you feel comfortable this morning with us, I wanna really encourage you to lift up your hands. The Bible says, I'm not, we're not doing it because we're a charismatic church. We're doing it because the Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary, bless the Lord. When we clap, we don't clap just because it's the thing to do. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people shout to God with a voice of triumph. When, when, when we move on the stage, when we're moving in worship, it's because we're mimicking what God is doing. God is dancing. Why are we stationary in who we are? So if this is something that you can feel comfortable with, when we begin to worship, can you just lift up your hands, lift up your voices, maybe begin to enter in. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Daddy, we're not looking for a type of church service. We're looking for an encounter with you that's real and true. So we submit ourselves, our lives to you today. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this place as it is in heaven. God, you've done it before. You can do it again. It doesn't matter what we're facing today. You are able. You are worthy of praise. No matter what my week looked like or what my week's going to look like, you are worthy of praise simply because of who you are. So we shout unto you, Jesus, it's all about you. It's not about us. It's not about church. It's about you. You are the resurrected king. You died and rose again and you are alive, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence you will come again, Lord God. So we shout unto you with a voice of triumph. We join into the triumph of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, come and have your way. Have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Come on. Can we shout and give God some glory? Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Come on. Let's worship Him together this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, church, let's have some expectancy this morning that God is going to move and he is going to come into this place that his spirit is already here moving on our behalf, speaking for us, that he is going to be doing something. We don't know what he is doing, but he is up to something here and now. Be in this place, fill our minds, 
fill our hearts, fill our spirits, God, with nothing more and nothing less than you and you alone. We trust you, we honor you, and you expect something beautiful, holy, powerful.
Now, hey guys, how we doing? Um, you know, something that is core to who we are as church at Connect is uh, a ministry that we call TKC, Thy Kingdom Crumb. And it started out as a food truck, uh, and it still is a food truck, but it is adapted, as all things have in this pandemic, to continue to reach out with food to people in our communities. And just so you know, food is the means, but Jesus is the end. It's not about changing food and security for people, although we hope we get a chance to do some of that in people's lives. The, the real thing is that food is a way to make an inroad with people to show them that they're loved and that they're seen and that they're valued and that they're approved and God loves them. So that's what TKC is about. And we have the opportunity today to pray for and introduce to you two uh, uh, members of uh, TKC. Um, one that has been on TKC for the last four years and is stepping into a new position. And the other, Stephanie, is uh, taking on a new role uh, as Director of Operations. So I'd like to introduce you to Stephanie Gibson, who is our new Director of Operations at TKC. And many of you already know Melissa Holt. Melissa is uh, our head chef. Hi, Melissa. Some of you may not know, but Melissa and I went to school together. Uh, I, she was very young. She, was, I was, I was very much older. It is true. I was. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's kind of the same way with Danielle and I. I was a senior. She was in kindergarten. Yes. But you know, the truth is, guys, like we can't do this alone. What we need, I, I, I really want to encourage all of us just for this moment before we pray, but. This isn't something that TKC does. TKC is something Connect Church does. And we are extremely thankful for AO1 that partners with us in this. And we are thankful for Carson and Madison Wentz who helped make that possible by their generous donations to this church. But this is what we do. It's not what some other organization does. This is what, who we are. And so... I want to invite you to think about and pray about being a part of this team. There's a thousand ways that you can be a part of it. Uh, from just handing out boxes right now, we're putting boxes in, uh, contactless into cars to feed people. We feed somewhere between 600 and 800 uh, meals, people every week. Right now, we've taken care of uh, people in the tornado areas and flooded out areas. And God is doing amazing things. And every week, this week, this just this week, 11 people came to know Jesus. Like, like in this environment. Like, they're, they're doing it through cracked windows, right? You just crack the window down through masks. And they, but look, people are hungry for Jesus. Yeah, they're not just hungry for food. They're hungry for Jesus. And, and we're inviting you to be a part of that. Uh, because many people have asked, how can we serve? Great place. Melissa, really quick. Tell them how they, because some people are like, I don't, I don't think, you know, I can't cook. I can't boil water, right? But there's lots of ways even to help you in the kitchen. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to help, actually. Um, in the facility, I think people uh, imagine us going in and we cook all of these meals and we package them and then we leave and go on our way. But there's cleanup, yep. there's dishes to do, there's floors to sweep. Um, I just spoke to someone yesterday and I made a mention about volunteering for the food prep. 
And he immediately said, oh, I would love to, but I burn water. <laughs> I burn water, you'll end up with the fire department there. <laughs> and he was very sincere about it. I started to think about it after I had spoken to him. And when you're dealing with a, Sean, not the church child, but <laughs> if, if you're dealing with a child, a child wants to be helpful. A child comes into the yeah. kitchen and says, oh, mommy, daddy, please let me help. You would never think of turning them away. You immediately say, yes, of course you can help me. And you find something for them to do yes. that they're comfortable with yes. and in a way that they can help. We're all God's children. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, you right. walk in and say, I want to help. Yep. We will find something for you so to good. do. So good. Pack boxes, put meals Absolutely. together in containers. Like there's, if you can, if your hand can work, you can put salad into a bowl and put a lid on it. Like there's a thousand things that can be done. And uh, so we really want to encourage you. It's part of really uh, being in lo the life of this church. Um, and so it's part of the we. We talk about the we. It's part of the we. So can you guys, we're going to just pray for them really quick. Pastor D, can you come up and she has her, she has her TKC shirt on this morning. Uh, I'm going to anoint these two. Pastor D's going to pray for them. Uh, and can you just, if you feel comfortable, reach out your hand. The Bible says we're to touch anything in agreement. It's going to be done. Do you know what Matthew 25 says? When you uh, do, whatever you do to the least of these, my, my brothers and sisters, you do unto me. That's what Jesus is saying. When we feed people, we're doing it to Jesus. When we, when we create boxes for people, we're doing it to Jesus. When we're cutting those vegetables, we're doing it for Jesus. So we're just going to anoint these guys for their position. For them to have increase in favor in the name of Jesus. Father, the worship that we just sang to you and about you rings so true in this moment. God, I pray that you would go before Stephanie and Melissa and you would come behind them and that you would encamp all around them, Father, as they take on the mantle of ministering your name to the ears of many. I pray, Father, that they would have extreme clarity to their callings, that they would remember that they carry you into the lives of other people, and I'm thankful, God, that you have given this house people who carry you well. So, God, I pray that as they move forward into days unknown, that they would truly feel encapsulated by you, that your spirit would breathe upon them, that your wisdom would go before them, that they would be able to click into your counsel as they, as they grow in their relationship with you, the spirit yes. of God. I pray, Father, that you would give them ideas, that you would give them creativity, that you would give them capacity, that you would give them strength, yes. that you would give them eyes to see what is unable to be seen in the natural. And I pray, Father, that you would strengthen their hand and the works of their hand in your name. Amen. 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 Can you guys give these guys a hand? We love you. What a great job. We're excited. Woo! I love TKC. For many of you, you know it's a dream of mine um, and that was uh, about 11 years in, in coming to pass before it came to pass. Can I tell you, never give up on a God dream? Come on. Never give up. If you got a God dream, don't give up on it. Even if it hasn't come to pass yet. Joseph spent a long time in prison before he ever actually saw the dream of God fulfilled. But when he saw the dream of God fulfilled, it saved the nation. Right. It blessed the world. Right. We believe that's what this is all about. It's about changing. Now TKC gets to be a part of what's going on in Indianapolis as well. Yeah. It's going on in my neighborhood. Right. 
Marta not only changed Cherry Hill and Philly and Camden, but it's changing my neighborhood. It's changing other neighborhoods. That's what we're a part of. So thank you for being, thank you for uh, giving. By the way, that changes those things as well, and for being a part of it. But if you brought your Bible, since you brought your Bible, hallelujah, since you brought your Bible, since Pastor Danielle has been telling you to bring your Bible. Show me your Bible wave. There we go. By the way, Tell the truth, Jesus. Oh, there's a lot of people with Bibles. Love it. Look, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings 20. And 1 Kings is the 11th book of the Old Testament. 11th book. Go to Genesis, count 10 more books forward, and you'll find it. And if you need a title for today's message, it's Everybody and Their Brother. Everybody and their brother. Uh, you know, Dee and I were talking and just thinking about recently about uh, does it ever feel like in your life, because it does in our life, that your life is so crowded in by so many things that you don't even know how they got there? Like you look around and you're like, how did this get here? Like our life should be on that show Hoarders, right? You look around and you're like, how? how? I don't even have space to breathe because everybody and their brother is here. And so much is missing. It reminded me, we were at the Super Bowl, uh, and we were going on a train from our hotel to the Super Bowl. And uh, they, they literally, uh, literally, you could, there are people so packed in, you, you can't breathe right. She could not, it was so crowded, you couldn't move, you couldn't breathe, you couldn't think, you couldn't, there was, it, even though you were going to a great destination, the journey was hard. So crowded. I think at times, if we're honest, there's many things that we've brought into our lives that we've called friends, that we've called family. And I don't mean that just in the natural. I mean in the spiritual as well. That start to crowd out things that should be in our lives. And we, our, our peace gets challenged. Our holiness gets challenged. Our sense of wholeness starts to get challenged. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today because in this text, it's exactly kind of what happens. Uh, Israel and King Ahab had just defeated the king of Syria, whose name was Ben-Hadad. And he does an unusual thing after this. He actually calls Ben-Hadad his brother and brings him into this chariot with him, even though God says to kill him. God says to have nothing to do with him. And yet he calls him family and brings them into his life. How often have we brought things into our lives that God said no to? How often have we called things family that eventually would undermine our lives? Ben-Hadad eventually brings death and bondage into Israel. And there are things that we have brought into our lives that will, if we are not careful, bring death and bondage rather than life and freedom. That's what this text is about. We're going to help you with that today. In 1 Kings 20, verse 32, I'm going to read this. Dee's going to just hop right on in. Verse 32 says, this is after the battle, after they win, after God had said, look, I'm going to win the day. Don't worry about it. Make sure that Ben-Hadad does not survive the day. Servants of Ben-Hadad come and they say, so they put on burlap and ropes and they went to the king of Israel and begged, your servant Ben-Hadad, the enemy, says, please let me live. And the king of Israel responded, is he alive? He is my brother. 
The men took this as a good sign and quickly picked up on his words. Yes, they said, your brother Benadad. Go and get him, the king of Israel told him. And when Benadad arrived, Ahab invited him into his chariot. He brought the enemy into his life and called him friend. You know, we talk about it a lot, but it's always worth repeating, is that there's things that are in the word that aren't just meant to give us um, a more clear understanding if we were to try to envision it happening in a movie. Right. And sometimes we think, well, that detail, if, if, a, if, a, if a director of a movie had that in the script, they would probably highlight that in the movie. And it's not there as if to benefit the audience that's just meant to watch a movie. It's meant for us as believers to feast on so that we can become disciples. So when it says in that passage that the that Benadad's people had said to spare their servant, right? And then it said that he said, is my brother still alive? It says immediately that the men picked up on this. Yes. And then they used his words. And uh, just, I guess, as God just keeps talking to us, this kind of seems almost like an unofficial part three of the last two True. weeks um, in, in some ways. But I think that when God highlights words in his word, they should be highlighted to us in our lives. Good. That's good. So in this scenario, we have to see that there was something for King Ahab <laughs> to take accountability and ownership of, which was how did he identify someone that differed from how God had identified that person to him. Wow. Because if you read the beginning of this passage, God, through his mouthpiece, is very clear that he is going to deliver these people into King Ahab's hands. He did not say, these people are meant to be your brother and sister. He did not say, I'm going to give them over to you for relationship. He did not say, they're coming into your lives to bless you. He said, I'm going to destroy them at my hand. And he said, you're my brother. You know, a lot of times, church, we find ourselves in relational dynamics that we don't find favorable to the health of our lives. It doesn't matter what the person, who the person, it doesn't matter. And it has to not matter to you as we talk today. Everybody has to be able to be on the altar. Everybody has to be able to be on the altar. And so we see that for some reason, the king calls him brother. And what we have to realize is that, is that Ben-Hadad did not call him brother. Yes. But the fact that he brought him in with his language, he changed the dynamic of proximity to what was meant for evil in his life. 
Now, when we, again, we hear these stories, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. This yeah, is so yeah. obviously Correct. the enemy. This, 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 this person is so obviously against him. Like how, but think about in your life. If you were to take assessment of every single person in your life, and you were to say, are they living their lives as broken humans who are going to get it wrong, just like me, just like you? Like, are they living their lives so that when they are showing up in my life, their goal is to bring God's best to me? Which is the same question we need to keep asking of ourselves as far as what we're bringing into other people's lives. Yep. Not are they bringing the best they have. Not are they bringing the best version of themselves as of right now. Yep. Is their intention to bring God into my life? That's a heavier question, right? I mean, don't right. you feel like your answers are going to, the needle's going to move if you ask with that kind of criteria? And then sometimes we have our lives imploding, relationally imploding, and we're wondering how that person could do that to someone that they supposedly love, a brother, a sister. And I think the first thing in the scripture that God is wanting to draw our attention to is that he needs to be the one that declares who is brother and sister. Yep. He has to be that one, church. Because King Ahab was determining this based on something that was definitely not the same criteria that God was making this call on. Yep. And I, it got me thinking that like sometimes... I mean, so often, guys, when I'm talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, this thing that I'm talking about ends up being at the cornerstone yeah, the core thing, isn't it? of what people are struggling yeah. with. There's a dynamic happening in your life that's causing you pain by the people that have the closest proximity to you. And you're calling them brother, and you're saying that. And I'm just saying it, this is not like literally, you don't have to be calling people brother or sister, but... You're considering that person close to you, and then you're wondering why they're hurting you when you're the one that has given them access to you. Yep. And we see here that the enemy took advantage of that and said, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. And what ends up happening is, is that that connection turned to close proximity. And in that proximity, we see the word turned into covenant. Just like that. Because it said that he called him brother. They responded to that. And then he brought him into his chariot. And he made a covenant with him. Yep. And this is the time, church, when they were listening to the voice of God come directly to them. Like God was very clear. This is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. You can ask the question. Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? And he would answer, and then it would be so. Don't you wish sometimes you, yes. <laughs> you had that kind of yes. clear, what do you want me to do today? And yep. what's going to happen, and what do I do next? And he was just like, this, that, and the other thing. Because don't you think to yourself, that would be so much easier to be obedient to. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm out here making mistakes, God, based on ignorance. <laughs> right? What is it? Something alive? No, it's the Bible. Oh. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to something. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just saying, we have the Bible. So is it something alive? Yes. 
like, can you tell we've been working outside? And I'm going to tell him, Kyle, because he killed a snake the other day. There was a snake that was dead the other day. I almost stepped on it. Do you remember when I told you before, it's snakes and sharks, this man, kryptonite. And he had literally the walked. He, I've, There's I, wisdom. If this is, I still can't figure it out. He walked, took three steps. The snake was not there. He turned around. I'm watching it. And there was a dead snake in his path. Not even an alive snake. It was dead. So ever since. And authority. Since, hallelujah. And I, and, I, and I was like, authority. I would have been left in the dust. <laughs> if that thing was alive, you would be hearing. I'd be telling you how you treat snake bites. Darn right. <laughs> because he's like, I just have to run faster than you. All right. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Do you, do you have any idea what I was talking about? Uh, no. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, but no. Um, so the danger, church, is that this covenant thing is serious to God. Yes, it is. Because they had a voice that was so clear, so clarifying to them, that God didn't even leave it up for question as to what they were to do. Yep. What the thing that was on the table the most was their choice of obedience. And you know, do you ever have people in your life where you're starting maybe to have a dynamic with someone and someone says, you know, I just, I think, I feel like I have like, I don't know, a check about that person or this seems, I don't know, maybe they had like a motive yep. or a, 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 an agenda and you're like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. That, even if they are, it doesn't matter because they're not, they're not going to be allowed to be close enough to me to hurt me. Amen. But a lot of times, people outside of the dynamic are observing something that we cannot see. And the reason a lot of times that we can't see it is because just like Ahab, we need something from that person. Think about how crazy this is. God said, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to win this day for you. Everything else is going to be defeated. And then he brings him into his chariot, and Ben-Hadad starts saying, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll give you this, I'll give you that, because obviously there's more things involved in kingdoms of politic, political, political ownership of land or whatever. But what did God say? God said that they would be defeated and they, this will not be a problem for you. So in reality, this man had nothing that King yes. Ahaz yes. needed. Yes, yes, correct. Nothing. Correct. So it's like in a movie, if you're watching this, this would be like, this is the worst. Like, why are you, you have no, you have no leverage here. Yes, dude. correct. Why you are you doing this to Why yeah. are you have no leverage here? You, you bring nothing to the table. Yes. But clearly he did. And it was revealed in the language. The connection that he had that would led to proximity come into my chariot that resulted in covenant. Yes, yes. And yes. if there's one thing, church, that I can leave you with today from me, it's this. This is something that you're only going to be able to do with the Spirit of God. Because what I'm about to say is impossible for just us in our human capacity because we love people and want people and desire people, specific people, not just anybody, but to be in our innermost chariot. Yep. Our goal has got to be, church, to get to the place in our lives where we literally do not need anything 
from anyone. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about the people that are like, I don't need anybody. Right. I'm fine. That's, you have not landed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are not, you are not on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're, you're actually at the start, before yeah. the start. That's not what we're yeah. talking about. I need no one. Just me and God. I'm fine. I've always been able to, re- I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about genuine inventory of every single person in your life. That whether it's so that you can look at someone and have a have a have a memory. A lot of times we keep people in our lives just because there's memory, experience attached to them, history. You can't keep people in your life because they're going to make dynamics in your life easier with other groups of people. You can't keep people in your life because this is your means of trying to quote unquote keep the peace. You can't keep people like this close in your life because you don't want to deal with the fallout. You can't keep people this close in your life because there's going to be a cost to you, whether it's financial or whether it's positional at work, on and on and on. This is the thing that will prune and purge us. Because only when we do that with the Spirit of God can we get to the other side and say, Now, God, what do you need from my communing with this person? Otherwise, we're just trying to have a bunch of relationships, slap God's name on there, and say it's all good until it goes bad. Right. Then we blame him. Yep. We say, How'd this person get it? My chariot's a mess. It's filled with mud. Correct. So it's sloppy. Yep. God wasn't sloppy in this. He was very direct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, church, right now, is you're listening. That's why I say the altar has to be full. The altar of your life has to have every single person on it. And they have to be able to stay in that place before God until you have extracted everything you need from them so that you can see who they are in your life just in and of themselves. Not from your game, but for who they are. And then you say, God, what do you need from my communion, my communion, my community with this person? Are you present? Yes. Are you able to be not just a voice? Are you able to be the voice? the voice? There's a lot of people in here I know right now they're saying, yeah, well, but I don't, I can't really do that because the people that I'm thinking of, they don't even walk with Jesus. Every single person in our lives has to be allowed to be on the altar. He must be able to determine proximity, church. We talk about the three, the twelve, seventy-two. We cannot force God's hand and make somebody a three and then hold him responsible when he acts like the seventy-two. Yeah, correct. No, David, that's it. I think, I think guys, uh, and what, what Danielle's saying is so right. Um, and, and, and uh, I think for, for all intents and purposes, what we need to understand is that Ben-Hadad, from God's perspective, was dead. God had already said, he shouldn't have a tomorrow. There's nothing there for you. He should be dead. So from a spiritual perspective, he's the living dead. He's the undead. And so often we bring these undead vampires into our life and they suck out our soul, they suck out our life, 
They, 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 and then we, 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 we wonder where, where our peace went. We wonder where uh, our joy went. We wonder where miracles have gone in our life. Well, because we've let the living dead, come on, we've let the living dead, we've let the thing that God said should not be alive to come in and be a part of our life. And the way that you kill a vampire is that you take a wooden stake and you drive it to his heart. The way that you kill soul-sucking vampires is you put the cross between you and them. There needs to be the cross of Jesus Christ. This isn't cutting people off. It's positioning them, it's positioning them the way they're supposed to be positioned in proximity to the cross of Jesus Christ in your life. There are things that we have uh, that should be buried that we've called brother. And that's the problem, that's the challenge that we have as human beings. There are feelings that should have been buried, come on, but we call brother. There are desires in our hearts that should be buried, but we call brother. There are relationships, like Dee was saying, that we call that should be buried, but we've called brother. There's old lifestyles, there's there's generate there's soul ties, there's generational norms that should be buried. From God's perspective, those things should be buried and not be able to be in the chariot. But we have created an undead world. We've called them brother, brought them into our world. Our joy gets sucked out. Our peace gets sucked out. Our life is sucked out of us. Our soul is sucked dry. And then we're wondering where everything, all, where, where's the joy of the Lord? Where's, the, where's my strength? Well, how can I have strength when the joy of the Lord is my strength? How can I have peace when the, the, the proximity of that soul-sucking vampire, the thing that's undead that God says is undead, Come on, is in our life that we've invited into the thing that should have been buried is we brought aboard. Come on, let's say the love boat. The love boat soon will be making. No, sir, get off. There are things. I think the issue is many times we bring into our lives things to, to solidify what we really don't believe God will bring into our life on his own. We bring into our lives things that, oh, I know theologically, oh, hallelujah, God is my provider, right? God is Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. Uh, but sometimes he needs a little help. Yeah. And we bring it in. That's at the core of Ahab's sin. If you really want to know what the core of Ahab's sin is, this isn't Ahab's sin. This is a result of what's inside of Ahab. Right. This started way long time ago, this, this sin of self-provision and self-protection. For when he marries uh, Jezebel, Jezebel is someone he should have never married. She's a foreign queen. She is a Phoenician queen that he brings into his life to secure his position as king. Because Phoenicia had what they needed to make sure that she was safe. No, God had what he needed for him to be safe. But he thought he had to help God out by bringing Jezebel in. Then he brings Baal worship in because there's an entire generation of young people and people who think that that's the culture that is acceptable. So he's trying to appease the culture around him. He doesn't want to make waves, so he brings Baal worship in. He does the same thing here with Ben-Adad. God says, this is not what I have for you. I've already given you the victory. I'm going to bless your people. But he didn't truly believe it. He thought God needed help because he didn't really believe that God would bring in by God's goodness what he could bring in by his self-protection. That's why the word of God is so clear in James 1.22. It says, don't be just hearers of the word only, be doers of it. Because when we just hear it and think we've, we're doing it, we're deceiving ourselves. How do we build up faith? Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith doesn't come from self-protection. Faith doesn't come from self-provision. Faith doesn't come from trying to keep the peace. Faith comes when the word of God speaks 
and we line ourselves up with it. I think the challenge for us, and we see it in the world all the time around us, and Dean and I were talking about this just the other day, is that believers in our life, believers in the church today have been taught this lie and have accepted it. God helps those who help themselves. Anybody ever hear that? God helps those who help themselves. Could not be less biblical. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps faith moves God. Understanding that you are loved by God and the love of God is the thing that moves. The grace of God, the gifts of God are grace. The love of God provides in our life. God is my provider. I'm, it's not me. But, but what that does when I come to that mentality is that it allows me to have personal choice and personal preference who I bring into my chariot for my own protection. And we talk ourselves into it. We make decisions from the wrong kingdom. This man was a part of the kingdom, just the wrong kingdom. And if you are not able to divide, discern kingdoms, there is one who can discern a kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit. That's why God placed him inside of you. That's why we are led by faith. Come on. We are led by the Spirit, not by just our feelings. Our feelings will say, oh, I can't turn this person away. Oh, we've got history. Oh, we grew up together. And the Spirit is saying, uh, no. But we are bringing them in because we do not believe that God will provide real relationships for us that are deep. We believe that we could not ever have provision unless we help God out in the way that we do it. Ben-Adad means the son of the storm god. The son of the storm god. This Hadad, Ben-Adad, still had power. He, he still had uh, a, a position. He still had resources back in Damascus that Ahab was thinking, you know what? Uh, he has some stuff that can benefit my life. And matter of fact, he makes deals. Even after this, as he was saying in the covenant, to benefit his life. He's looking, Ahab is looking to see how this person, even though God said no, God said no to that mentality, no to that life, no to that choice, no to that feeling. And he is saying, yeah, but this person is in position to bring something I need or could benefit into my life. Self-provision, self-protection. And Ahab chooses to keep the peace. Let's just keep, anybody? Let's just keep the peace. I don't want to rock the chariot. Let's just keep the peace. Do you know what else is interesting about the word Hadad? The word Hadad means noise. It's thunder, noise. It's where the storm God comes from. Thunder, noise. How many of us know that, man, we can bring things in our life that, through self-protection, self-provision, that create so much noise in our life that it drowns out the voice of God. It drowns out the Spirit. How many of us have said, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I can't hear the voice of God. I don't know what God's saying in my life because there's so much noise that we brought into the chariot with us that was never meant to be in the chariot with us that's drowning out the voice of God. The voice of God was clear. God does not hide His voice from us. God is not a concealer of Himself. He's a revealer of Himself. I think that's one of the greatest obstacles to wholeness and holiness in our life, babe, and we've talked about this a lot, is this desire for self-protection and self-provision, to self-provide and self-protect. There's this thing inside, i got to fight or flight, i gotta, I got to protect myself. Yeah. We see it all throughout the Bible, from the very beginning in Genesis, not only in the garden, but in Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. 
And I know many of you have been taught that the Bible says in verse 4 that they build a tower that is going to reach heaven. And they say so that we can become famous and so that we don't get scattered throughout the world. And I know many people have said God was angry because they were trying to reach heaven. I don't think that's true at all. The word for tower there is the word for a fortification. They were building a fortified tower. For the first time in history, man, humanity was saying, God, I don't need you to protect me. I've got my own. I don't need you to make me famous. I make myself famous. I don't need you to keep me from being scattered. I can protect myself. God says, oh, you think so? They brought self-protection into their life, and it undermined their life. I think the temptation for us as men and women of God is to build mental constructs, relational constructs, socioeconomic constructs that keep us safe. Even though it's not what God is saying, and it will undermine our faith, we create these constructs because they're fortifications that when they're in place in our life, when I've got these people close to me, when, I, when, I, when, when, when I've made peace with the things that hurt me in the past, when I'm all right with certain feelings, when I've called desires brother and sister, when I've let things in that God said no, I've created constructs that make me feel safe but undermine my life. You heard me say it earlier today. Faith calls things that are not as though they are. We have a tendency to call things that are something they are not. Faith looks at a sick person and says, my God's in the middle of healing them. We, come on, look at somebody who God says shouldn't be in our chariot and call them brother. And wonder why these things are undermining our lives. Church, we, we, we are in a jeopardy in our world today of making things that are not holy and making them holy. Giving sacred weight to things that should not have sacred weight to them. And what it does is it waters down what should have sacred weight. And Jake and I were just talking the other day. This is silly and I'm, I won't take long on it because I will teach on it later at some time in chat room. But I saw a, a, like the five billion post about how the vaccine is the mark of the beast. And what I'm going to say is not pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. It's pro-Bible. That's stupid. No one had to denounce Jesus to get a vaccine. No one had to work. No one's worshiping Moderna or Pfizer or the government. But what it does, why it makes me so angry is that because we are in the end times and because there is a mark of the beast and because the Antichrist spirit is at work, what that kind of stuff does is it muddies the water of what the Antichrist really is doing. It muddies the water. And so that's the same thing when we get things into our life like those kind of things that God is saying no to, it muddies the water of what he's really saying in our lives. And I think because the American church has politicized the gospel and made its core tenets about my life becoming happy and my life being better, we give sacred weight to things we shouldn't. We call brother things that we've made peace with in our past and actually make them an, make them an ally. Come on, make them an ally when they are clearly enemies of our peace and holiness. Do you realize that's what he did? He made them an ally. And God said no. 
That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Solomon says, in all of my wisdom, above everything else, guard your heart. Because out of it come all the issues of your life. Your mind only directs, uh, your mind only decides what your heart directs. Do you realize that Ahab's chariots, actually, and, and his, his stables and everything were built by Solomon? Solomon built all these magnificent stables. Solomon was the one who bred all the horses. Solomon is the one who designed all the chariots and provided for them. What wisdom had built, selfishness broke. What wisdom had built, ego had demolished. I think the truth is, my friends, believers tend to try to fill their chariot with things that will protect them or they think will strengthen them or increase their sense of prestige. Although you and I just found out on that documentary, prestige comes from the French word that means deceitful illusion. That's interesting. How many of us are seeking prestige? You know, do you know the number one thing that people want to be today? Do you know the number one thing? When you ask people today in a survey, every survey that's asked right now around our country, the number one thing when people are asked, what do they want to be? Does anyone know what it is? Famous. Famous. They want prestige. I want deceitful illusion. Believers are still trying to build their own prestige and persona, still trying to build self-protection and provision. But disciples, but disciples fill their chariots with things that will draw them to Jesus. That will help them understand the deep things of the word of God. That won't let the enemy aboard. That actually create an atmosphere of intimacy with God. And actually create an atmosphere of miracles. How do I know? Because we're almost done. But let me juxtaposition for you. Let me show you the opposite, the opposite side. The back side of this coin. The back side of this coin is found in Acts chapter 8. When the Ethiopian eunuch is in his own chariot and he's riding through Samaria and the Bible says that he is reading the book of Isaiah and he doesn't understand it. He's seeking. He, he's looking for God. He's trying to find out how to understand what God is doing. And the Holy Spirit speaks to a common man named Philip and says, go meet him at the chariot. And when Philip arrives at the chariot, the man who is seeking God recognizes the man of God and brings him into the chariot. And the moment he brings him into the chariot, the man of God begins to explain the things of God to this person who doesn't understand God. And at the end of it, he gets saved. At the end of it, he says, man, there's water right here. I don't want to wait one more second. Can you baptize me? And Philip gets up and dumps him in the water. And as he comes up out of the water, not only is that man changed, but Philip is translated. Philip is taken up in the spirit and moved miraculously to another city. In a moment, not only does the man inside the chariot get changed, but Philip gets changed as well. I believe that there's some signs, some wonders, some miracles, some breakthroughs that are ready to happen if we will just get the wrong brothers out of our chariots and the right brothers into our chariots. <laughs> Juxtapose those two positions in the Old Testament. He chose by what felt right. He chose by what would protect him. He chose to keep the peace and ultimately it brought death and bondage. Where the eunuch says, man, I don't know, but man, I want God. 
I want God and I can recognize a man of God and, and I can recognize the spirit of God and I'm listening to what God is saying and it created an, an, a, a, an environment where he grew in intimacy with God. It didn't push him further away from church. It didn't push him further away from God. How many of our relationships are pushing us further away from God, further away from faith, further into shame, further into guilt, further into insecurity? Man, Philip. When he came in, when he stepped into that chariot, the atmosphere changed because God had a divine moment, an appointment for that man. Come on. There are some people we got to get out the chariot. There are some thoughts, some people, some ideas, some shame, some guilt, some things from our past that we've made an ally that we should recognize it actually from the enemy. Man, there are th- can I just say with you, there are some things from your past that you should not make peace with. You should bury. We're trying to make peace with things in our past. I know I got to bury them. I made stupid mistakes. I got to bury those things. Why? Because, look, one brought an undead vampire back into my life. One brought a resurrected person from the dead. I, I, can't, I, I, I can't bring the Benadads into my life any longer. I can't give them place. I can't make peace with them because they suck me dry. I need the Phillips that will help, help the thing that died in me be resurrected by the power of the king. I think, guys, even more, and just kind of as we close in this, but... Even more, babe, you and I have been talking about the end times with church for so long for the last couple weeks. Time is short. Life is valuable. If the enemy can silence us and take us out by simply coming into our life disguised as a brother... steal our joy and steal our peace and steal our hope. Who's telling the world that about Jesus? Who? If you and I remain silent because we've made covenant with the wrong people and they've sucked us dry and we're just trying to wake up and get out of bed in the morning we're just trying to muster enough strength to make it through the day In these end times, who's telling people about Jesus? Who is going to be the Philip? Who's going to be the healthy one that walks up to the one on the chariot and says, man, I heard from a God today. I was praying and I heard from God. I was walking in a land that wasn't even my own and, and I heard God. Man, I, I, I'm not, I don't got it all together, but one thing I know is the Holy Spirit dropped something in my spirit to give to you today. If we're the Ahabs, rather than the Phillips, who's changing the eunuchs? Who's bringing hope to the ones who are looking for it in the world? God made sun and he made the moon. He made the light and he made the darkness so that we could know the difference. Elijah looked at Ahab and said, I won't even get in your chariot. 
but I will run in front of it to show you the power of God. Our world doesn't need Ahab's. You can convince yourself, yeah, but my family, but my friends, see what they really need. No, they don't need an Ahab. They need a Philip. They don't need you to keep the peace. They need you to know what peace is and bring it. They, they don't need you to, 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 to have your spirit so sucked dry you've got nothing. They need you to be so intimate with Jesus that what you've got to bring changes and releases them from the shackles of their life. I don't need to be an apostle. Philip was an apostle. Philip was an ordinary dude who got excited about Jesus. Went into his world and just said, can I tell somebody about you? Listen to the Spirit of God and knew what chariot to get on. But if our life is dry, our spirit is dead, and we're just hoping we can make it through the day in this end time, who will get on the chariot of the eunuch? Who will step into the atmosphere of the supernatural? Who will be positioned to see miracles they've never seen before? No one in the world had ever seen what happened to Philip until Philip stepped into that chariot. There are miracles, signs, and wonders. There are levels of intimacy with God that you've never seen before until you are in a position to step in a healthy way into that chariot. And that all determines who you've let in your chariot. Because whatever I sow, I'll reap. Whatever I receive, I'll give away. Today, there are some people, there are some things, there are some mindsets we need to tell them to get out of the chariot. Get out of the chariot. Get out of my chariot. Get out of my chariot. Get out of my chariot. You got to make peace with it. Get out of my chariot. I can't tell you what they are, either confess or deep, but I can't tell you that if you let them there, they'll bring bondage and death. If you make an ally what you should recognize as an enemy, It'll bring bondage and death. But if you let the Holy Spirit speak, you let the Holy Spirit move, it'll bring intimacy with God like never before. And it'll help you to step and be positioned for the miraculous like you've never experienced. In this end time, we don't need better churches. We don't need cooler worship sets. We don't need hipper pastors. We need men and women of God who understand who they should and should have led on the chariot so that they are healthy enough to step on the people who are seeking out God and get in their life to bring the power of God with them. Let's pray. My friends, today, as Pastor you said, kind of just part three of what we've been talking through. And for some of us, these are real people with real faces, with real histories. And it's not cutting people off so that you can never have anything to do with somebody. It's not giving them the proximity to have covenant with you. 
So then you rely on getting something from them that God is the one who should be bringing to you. For me, God had to cut me off from church service for a year and a half so that I could learn to get from him what I was getting from the crowd. What is it today that needs to get out of your chair? Who is it? What enemy have you called an ally? What undead vampires sucking your soul dry? Today, in just this moment, we're going to pray in just a second, but I want to ask you to pray for yourself right now. Because all it takes is for you to admit it before God, confess it as sin because it is, ask the Holy Spirit to come in and kick that person, kick that thing out, and help you understand. Just repent. There's so much freedom in repentance. So we're going to just sit quietly for a moment. And if you feel like there's something that God spoke to you in this moment, in this sermon, why don't you just take a moment to confess, to repent, to ask for God's help. trying to figure this thing out. Now's the time. 
Just come to Jesus. He is the one you want on your chariot. And it's as easy as this. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my whole life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm giving it all to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And forgive me of all my sin. To fill me with your spirit. And to make me your child. Today I choose to live for you forevermore. And I'll never go back. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Waited mornings. Oh, hallelujah. Beautiful mornings. Purpose-filled mornings. Something that we can do with it after Sunday morning. Church, I just want you to know, I know this is tough for some of you. I know that because of the type of church we are, we don't live in just um, a bubble of rhetoric and theology without then the expectation from God to go out and to apply this in the life. I know that there are ramifications of resituating your lives your lives. And I just want you to know that the same God that loves you enough to bring the truth of the word to you on mornings like this is the same God that will love you enough as you act on what you've learned. Absolutely. He doesn't just equip you and then send you out and say Good luck with that. that. He will love you through the shifting. Indeed, can we just say too, you don't have to do this alone. It's why we have things like fours and shoulder to shoulder. Because they're not connect groups where we're just kind of growing in relationship. We hope that Sunday mornings you take time to grow in relationship with one another. Fours and shoulder to shoulder, that's where we actually get busy and deal with some of these hard issues. You don't have to do it alone because you have brothers and sisters there that are saying, man, I'll pray with you. I'll stand with you. I know it's hard. I've been there. I'm still dealing with stuff. Dee and I still have to make these decisions every day. We still have to pay the price just this week. Again, you know, paying the price about recognizing who should not be on our chariots. That's hard. You don't have to do this alone. Let me say it differently. You can't do it alone. It's a lie from the enemy. We need each other. Get in a shoulder-to-shoulder group. Get in a get in a forge group. Hop into one. Just Billy, just just take us, just yeah, take, take us, take a breath. Pray for endurance to follow. 
tending to people's hearts this morning. I know that you're still tending to monologues and dialogues that are happening within people this morning. And God, I pray that you would remind them of how cherished they are. Truly cherished. Cherished enough to talk to this morning. people who may have come to the Lord for the first time this morning, and if if that is you, I want to say thank you, yes. thank you for spending this time with us so that you could even hear about that. We have two resources we'd love to give to you for free. Um, one is called The Surprise of Your Life, the other is called Letters to a Gen Zer. and they were both written by Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick, can you wave your hand real quick? So if after service, you would like to talk with him, or if you would just like some prayer for what we've been talking about, um, Pastors Ron and Irene over here, Pastors Rick and Kathy over here, Jonathan's behind me, I think Kevin and Lisa are with the kids and fans, but grab someone who will pray the word with you. Grab someone who will pray the word with you. Because it's only his word, not our word, that will endure. Especially such trying, trying things. Yes. Which is, we're going to take our offering here at the end, and then we're going to all go watch the Eagles win. Yeah, baby. 2-0. Right? Oh. It always looks good. The, the, the standings in the NFC East right now, when the Eagles are first and the Cowboys are last. Come on, somebody. That's always a good day. That's a good day. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I know I'll get tweets and texts from people. I know. I know. I got friends in Texas watching. Stay where you belong. In the bottom. Look, none of this is possible without your giving. Nothing that we do. From service to TKC to children to making a difference in community, nothing is possible without your giving. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that just like we said about you living this thing out, you don't have to do it alone. You don't give alone. We don't expect any one person to support this church individually. We all are called to give in faith. This is, this is an act of community together. And you know, when I read this morning of that Matthew 25, where it says, when you give a cup of cold water to the least of these, you do it to me. When you give somebody food, you do it for me. When you give them clothes, you do it for me. You know, when you give, you do it for him. And you position the kingdom of God to do those things. Little by little by little by little by little by little by little. Your giving makes a difference. There's a lot of ways you can give. There's a screen, uh, a slide up on the screen. You can give with these um, uh, envelopes that you can drop in these beautiful golden kiosks that we have on, on either side on the way out. Uh, you can give with your, your phone on uh, Linktree or CCB. It's the way that I'm going to give in just a second. Um, you can always set up auto giving as well because I know sometimes we get so busy in here. Afterwards, we're saying hi to people that we forget. Um, but the one thing that I'm going to say is this. No matter how you give. Give with faith. The Bible says this is a seed. It's a seed. It's a seed. 
Dee and I have been planting a lot in our, uh, in, our, in our backyard, planting a lot of things. Every time I plant something, I expect it to grow. I have yet to plant something. Now, fear says it's going to die. <laughs> right? Dee and I are like, oh, this is going to die. I don't know how I'm going to keep this thing alive. I don't know what I'm going to do. Do you know how we keep it alive? We keep watering it. To see, expect it to grow. Not for you. Expect it to grow for God's glory. I'm going to pray over your offering. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for every person that's here. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that changes us and shapes us from the inside out. We know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above more than we can ever ask, hope, or dream. We know that you care for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, that you will care for us as well. So we trust in you today. We renounce self-provision and self-protection, and we proclaim in faith, you are our provider. You are our protector. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Nisi. You are the banner of, under which we live. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you, church, a whole lot. Yeah, we do. We pray for you. We cover you. We stand with you. We stand for you. So I pray that as you go out today, you remember that you're not alone. All right. Have a great, great day. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. See you next week. Hallelujah.